Today we're going to continue in our series, Jesus Walks. Today's title of the sermon is Jesus Walks and Peter Denies. We're going to get into, we've already been into some very, very painful passages, if we're honest with ourselves, and we're going to continue to do that as we work our way up to, to the resurrection, the resurrection Sunday to Easter. So just warning you, it's, not, it's going to get much worse before it gets any better here with the story of the Gospels. But today we're going to look at Peter. In particular, Peter's a, a strong character throughout the New Testament, as we've seen, some of the passages we've already looked at in this series, Peter's done some pretty, pretty neat things. And today's not, we've seen Peter on his mountaintop, and today we're going to see Peter in his valley, at one of his lows. And I think, it's, I think it'll be interesting for us to look at it, and I think you'll take something from it, of the fact that uh, you know, we all mess up and fail from time to time. So We're going to look at the story here in Matthew 26. We're going to do some bouncing around between Matthew and Mark, and we're going to do some looking. But I want you just to see this and hear this story. I'm sure you've heard it before. We're going to begin in verse 31. It says, Jesus is talking to his disciples. It's, it's Last Supper time, where we just celebrated communion when Jesus institutes. It's, he's gathered with his disciples in a room, and he probably is telling this, I'm guessing, as they're heading out to, as he heads to the Garden of Gethsemane, to the Mount of Olives. And this is what Jesus tells his disciples. It says, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I, str- I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replies, as Peter always does, right? If you read through the Gospels, Peter's always willing to, to chime in and give his two cents. And so Peter replies here to Jesus, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Right? Peter says, hey, the rest of these ding-dongs over here, they might go, right? They might, they might fail. They might cut bait and run. I won't, Jesus. I'll be, if everybody else leaves you, I'll be there to the very end, right? I'll be there with you, no matter what. Now, Jesus quotes out of the Old Testament there, Zechariah 13, 7. It says, Awake sword against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. It's a pretty neat passage if you think about what's about to happen to Jesus and his disciples. That second half of that passage fits, fits exactly the reason Jesus uses it. So Peter says, hey, if everyone else goes, Jesus, that's fine, but I'm not going to go. I'll be there with you. And this is how Jesus replies. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Jesus says, Peter, you're not just going to run like everybody else. You're going to be the worst of them all. You're going to have three opportunities to say, hey, yeah, I know that Jesus. I'm with him, and you're going you're to deny me every one of those times. And look at Peter's response. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Now this is, this is hours before, this act, before the rest of the story that we're going to see in a second. And I want to stop here for a second and talk about the, the idea of self-confidence versus arrogance. There's nothing wrong with being self-confident in who we are and our abilities and our talents and our gifts, right? If you don't have self-confidence, you won't get anything done. You'll just be curled up in a ball laying somewhere. If, you don't, if you're not confident in who you are when it comes time to do something, but arrogance is where that self-confidence gets out of hand. And I think we can honestly say, from what you're going to see the rest of the story, that Peter maybe has a touch of the arrogance here. And the rest of the disciples too. Because the rest of them are going right along with Peter. Oh, absolutely, Jesus, we'll die with you if we have to. Right? We'll be right there by your side. We'll be going down in flames of glory together. Swords swinging and we'll be going to town together. They have the confidence. But that confidence, I think, has led to their arrogance. 
as we're going to see, literally hours after they speak these words, they're all gone. They've all cut and ran. Hours after they said, yeah, Jesus, we'll be with you till we die. They're gone. Arrogance versus self-confidence. We should be self-confident in who we are, who God's made us to be, but arrogance is well, pride comes before the fall, right? Is the saying? It certainly does. This is what happens this night. So I want to kind of, because we're going to be bouncing back and forth between some of the stuff, so I want to make sure you get the order right. So Jesus prays at the Garden of Gethsemane. We talked about that, right, last week. Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. Jesus is then arrested. Peter cuts off that man's ear, right? Remember, he's not aiming for his ear. Probably aiming for his neck and misses and hits his ear. So Peter at first is willing to fight. Then all the disciples run, and Jesus says, no, 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 right? We're not going to fight. We're not, this, is, this is what has to happen. They all run. They all leave. Hours after they just said, we'll be with you to the end, Jesus, even if we have to die. When the swords come out and it gets real, they're all like, well, never mind. I didn't actually mean that, and it's time to go. And then Jesus' Jesus's trial begins, which we're going to look at in more detail next week, the actual trial itself. But that's where we are, okay? So Jesus is taken in front of the authorities, and this is what happens as Jesus is being led in front of the authorities authorities for a crime that you and I both know he didn't commit, but it is what it is. <clears throat> Mark says this in Mark 14. Says, they took Jesus to the high priests and all the chief priests. The elders and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And there he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. So remember, everybody's ran. Judas has betrayed Jesus, one of the twelve. All the rest of the disciples have, have gone now that Jesus is arrested. And Peter has enough courage at least to follow him, right? Well, I want to see at least what happens to him. Remember, this is the dude who just said, hey, I'll die with you if we have to. And now he's, slow, he's slowly behind them all. That's a little bit cowardice here. So he follows him at a distance, and they go right into the courtyard. Peter goes right into the courtyard of the high priest. I'm sure trying to disguise himself. And he sits down with the guards, and he warms himself at the fire that's there. Remember, it's, it's the middle of the night when this happens. Now, I want to look at that progression for a second. He follows him at a distance. Now, G- now, Peter should have been there with him in chains, right? And all of the disciples should have been if they were true to their word. To say, Jesus, well, if we have to die with you, we'll die with you. We'll go down with you. And none of them are with him. So Peter goes in the courtyard and sits down and he warms himself with the enemy, essentially. He sat down with the enemy, the people who have arrested Jesus with no cause, with no real reason, and he's sitting there warming himself with the fire as Jesus is being tried. Stands before his accusers, and as we'll see next week, is being abused before his accusers. Big, strong Peter has a hood over his head and is hiding, cuddled by the fire, as his Messiah, as his Christ, is being persecuted. You see what he's doing? He's being a coward. No way around it. Now, I'm not telling you I would have done any different. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying I would have been any braver. I, I, I don't know until I get myself in that situation. None of us know, right? Peter didn't know. Peter thought for sure he'd be there with this Jesus, and now it's happened, and he's not. But you see what he's doing? And it reminds me of Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is a very interesting psalm. And it talks kind of about the progression of sin in the very beginning of it, of how we get there. In Psalm 1, I'm just going to read you the first two verses. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day 
and night. I don't know if you caught it, but there's a progression in Psalm 1 of sin. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. We've all walked with wicked people before. Or stand. What happens when you... So imagine this. You're walk, the psalmist says you're walking with a wicked person. Then you stop and stand with the wicked person. What's happening? You're getting comfortable. Or stand in the way that sinners take, or then sit in the company of mockers. The psalmist is saying how we tend to sin is we begin by just simply knowing, come in contact with this person, right? We're walking with them, we're talking with them. Then all of a sudden we stop and we stand and talk with them because we're getting comfortable. Then all of a sudden we find ourselves in their home, sitting on their couch, doing what they're doing. There's a progression, and you see what Peter does in this story? What's he doing? He's following at a distance, right? And he gets in the courtyard of the high priest, where he should be defending Jesus, to be saying, hey, what's going on here is wrong. He doesn't say a word. And then what's he do? He sits down by the fire and warms himself. He's reenacting to me Psalm 1. Where he should be defending Jesus. He should be at his side. He should be in, in chains and custody with him. He's not. He's not. Doesn't have, the, doesn't have it here. Doesn't have it in his heart. Doesn't want it bad enough to be there with him. And so he sits at the fire and warms himself. And then he really starts to fail here. I mean, it's already somewhat of a failure at this point. They all said they would be there with him, and they're not. But this is when it takes a turn. Remember, Jesus told them, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before that morning sun comes up, before the rooster crows. And here comes denial number one. Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, warming himself, brave soul. And a servant girl came to him. You also were with the Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. So a servant girl, a lowly servant girl, comes up to, up to Peter and says, hey, wait a second, I, I recognize you. You're with that Jesus guy that's in there right now being, being tried. And what does Peter do? He just claims ignorance, which is what we all do when we like, want to lie, but we don't want to feel bad about it. right? We just go, I don't know what you're talking about. I, that, no clue. I not, know nothing about the situation. He knows all about the situation. The girl's right. She knows exactly. She's seen him before with this Jesus. Remember, they'd been in Jerusalem all week in the temple courts, and Peter's been with him. Big, brave, and strong Lynn, right? And now he's cowering and hiding. He goes, no, I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. Look what happens the next, his second denial. <coughs> then he went out to the gateway, He's getting uncomfortable, right? Realizes that they might know who he is, so it's time to leave. Where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow is with Jesus of Nazareth. And Peter, what's he do? Says he denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. What I find interesting is two little servant girls who are at the bottom of the totem pole. Servant girls, any servant boys or girls are at the bottom of the totem pole in ancient Jewish society. And big, strong Peter who's big and brave and tough. And these two little servant girls make him quiver in his boots. By simply saying, hey, don't you know that Jesus guy? First time he goes, I don't know what you're talking about. Second time, it's stronger. You see what happened? The scripture says he denied it again with an oath this time. That's right hand up, hand on the Bible. I don't know that man, which is absolutely disrespectful to Jesus. He won't even say his name. So not only is Peter denying him, 
He, he can't even get the Jesus name out of his mouth because he knows what he's doing is wrong. So he denies it again, this time with an oath, making it stronger. He says, I don't know the man. You know the man's name. Live with the dude for three and a half years, Peter. You lived with him every day. You've seen the most magnificent things the world's ever seen. Peter's seen with his own two eyes, and he can't get Jesus' name out of his mouth. It's despicable. There's no way around it, guys. It is. Peter's doing this absolutely, and it gets worse in this third denial. It doesn't get better, it gets worse. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Calling down curses in the ancient world was literally saying, If I'm lying, I hope God kills me right here in this place. That's what calling down curses means. So Peter is so willing to protect his own skin that he's willing to lie and put a curse on himself, essentially. Saying, hey, if I'm lying, I hope God kills me. Lightning bolt, boom, from heaven right now. Get it over with. Done. And this, the truths that are in this story are so deep to us as human beings. One, lying always progresses and gets out of hand, and it does so in a hurry. And sometimes we lie because we think it's going to protect the person. Or we lie because... It's just inconvenient to tell the truth. This is what happens when we lie. Now, this is an extreme example of it because normally it doesn't happen to us this fast. It takes a while, right? Before we forget what we lied about, then all of a sudden it comes out and we're in trouble. But this is what happens when you lie. You've got to get stronger with your lies. And you have to get more elaborate with your lies. And so Peter continues to get stronger and more elaborate. And now he's calling down curses on himself from God who's in heaven, saying, I'm not, there's no way I'm lying. I'm telling you the truth, all because he doesn't want to stand next to Jesus. And be persecuted. And all, Paul, all Peter, excuse me, is want to do for the last three and a half years is stand next to this Jesus and be a part of his ministry. And now, when the going gets tough, he cuts and runs. And doesn't just cut and run like the other disciples and go hide somewhere. He's there, pretending like he's brave, but instead denies Jesus three times. Denies even knowing him, won't even say his name. Man, how the mighty have fallen. Remember this Peter and all that he's done. All that he's seen. And as Peter tells that final lie and denies Jesus the third and final time, the rooster immediately crows. And then you've heard of the term eating crow, right? Well, guess what? Verse 75 is heartbreaking. And Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. This dude doesn't cry. He's a fisherman. You've watched Deadliest Catch before, right? Some dudes rip fingers off, go right back to work. Like, oh, I'll be all right, right? They're bleeding. They're tough people. That's Peter's profession. Now, he didn't have a boat, right? Not, not like that. He had a boat that he rode. He rode. This is a tough dude. This guy's got some calluses on his hands. And he's outside on his knees weeping like a little baby. Because Jesus was right when he said, hey, you're going to deny me. And Peter goes, no way, Jesus. If, we, if I have to die with you, I'll die with you. And, Peter go, and Jesus goes, easy. Calm down, Peter, because no, you're going to do it. No way, Jesus. No way it's happening to me. Everybody else, maybe. These yahoos, these other guys, but not me. And what's he do? 
fails, and he fails miserably. <coughs> and so have you and I. Maybe not today or yesterday, but maybe tomorrow. But at some point in our life, we have failed, and we failed miserably. We gave our word, and we didn't live up to it. We straight up lied. We went our own way, and we did our own thing. And Jesus said, God, I don't, I don't think that's the right way to go, Lyndon. And I said, that's no, okay, God, I got this. I got this handled. Don't worry about it. I'm guessing maybe you've done the same at some point in your life. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3 that we've all fell. We've all fallen. We've all sinned, and we've all fallen short of God's glory. Peter, too. Peter in a very dramatic way. I want to take you back for a moment to a few sermons ago where we were in Caesarea Philippi, that evil, evil place where all kinds of terrible things happen. Remember Jesus, I believe, sits up on the mountain overlooking that, that temple where just horrible things happen. And Jesus asked his disciples a question. He said, hey, who do, who do people say I am? And they give an answer, right? Some Elijah, some John the Baptist, all this. And then Jesus says, hey, guys, you 12 here. You've been following me now for over three years. Who do you say I am? And who, cheer, who chimes up? You guys remember? It's Peter. And what's he say? <coughs> it's there, right? What about you, Jesus asked them, the disciples. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter, good old Peter, chimes up and says, you are the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, absolutely right, Peter. You nailed it. And on this rock, Peter's name means rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I want you to remember, that's just weeks before this happens. This is right before they make the trip to Jerusalem, is when this happened in Caesarea Philippi that we just looked at a few weeks ago. He makes this wonderful, amazing confession of who Jesus is, and he's right. And now, a couple weeks later, he's outside of the gates of, of the high priest's house, weeping bitterly. And you want to talk about going from a mountaintop to a valley low. In two weeks, Peter's standing on high, and now he's outside weeping bitterly because he's failed. And guys, we've all failed. We've all failed. We've all fallen short. We all have missed the mark. Any other way you want me to say it, we've all sinned. We've all done it, including myself, chief among you, sinner among sinners. And yet there's hope. There's hope for those of us who have gone astray and gone our own way. There's hope for those who call down curses on themselves saying, I don't know that man. I don't know that Jesus. There's hope. There's hope for those of us who don't always get it right or who almost never get it right if you're like me. There's hope for those of us who fall short of God's glory. A few weeks from now, I'm going to give you the story of Peter's redemption, of how Jesus brings everything back <coughs> with Peter, how he restores him completely. But I want to stop and end today and remind you of who Peter is and that if Peter fails and can climb back out of that hole, so can you and I. I want you to remember Peter. Peter, when Jesus gets out of the boat during the storm and starts walking on water, there's one disciple who chases after him. 
There's one guy who's got the courage to get out of the boat with him and take a couple steps on that water before he looks down and goes, oh no, and has some doubt and starts sinking, right? That person is who? It's Peter. One person who makes that confession says, Jesus says, hey, who am I? And, Jesus, and Peter goes, hey, you're Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God. One dude who does that, it's Peter. And there's all kinds of stories throughout the Gospel where there's only one person willing to chime up out of all those disciples, all those followers, and it's Peter. And he, that dude swings for the fences, and he's either going to hit a home run or he's going to strike out. And, and, and Peter has struck out terribly in this story. But he's the only one who had the courage to at least come to the high priest's house. You notice that? Everybody else was too scared. And we can never stop trying out of the fear of failure. You're going to fail. God loves failures. He always has, and He always will. He he loves those of us who just mess things up constantly, which, if you're not sure of, is all of us. God loves sinners. And He proved it at the cross. He loves people who don't get it right all the time. He loves people who go their own way and do their own thing. Now, it doesn't make any sense to me either, but he does. He even loves people like Peter who call down curses and swear, I don't know that guy. He loves them still. God has always and will always love people who go their own way and do their own thing. Peter's proof of it. And so are you, and so am I. God has one stance towards us, and we're, we're the group of sinners, if you haven't caught on yet, and that's the stance of love. No matter where you've been, what you've done, how big of a mess you've made of this whole thing, how dirty you've made those clothes of yours, you are not past or too far gone for this God of ours. He is a God of redemption. A God of forgiveness, of mercy, and grace. Being a pastor, I get to talk to people about God sometimes. Sometimes those conversations are very uncomfortable. And I'm not real, I'm not, you guys who know me fairly well, and some of you have known me since I was a kid, I'm not, I'm not obnoxious with the gospel because I don't think that's fun or want someone to be obnoxious back to me with it. So when I get a chance to share, I, I, I enjoy it, but I, I look at it as a chance to share, not a chance to beat somebody over the head with the Bible. That's not going to do anything besides hurt my Bible and give them bruises, right? It's not going to accomplish anything. But when I get to talk to God, somebody about God, and, and people have very interesting views about God, that he is vengeful, that he's full of wrath, that he can't wait for us to mess up and and punish us. And I think to myself, man, what kind of parents did you have? Psychologists have proven, actually, that we, we often form our idea about God from our, from our parents. Which makes sense. They're our first person over, who has authority over us. But how often do we mess it up? Because our parents weren't perfect. No matter how great your parents are, they're not perfect. Just like, I'm not a perfect parent. I'm guessing you're not either. See, our God is full of love. Our God wants hell to be empty and heaven to be full. Like that's his desire. Is that each of us come back to him with open arms. And he'll keep knocking and he'll keep pulling and he'll keep trying and he'll never give up on us. 
As you're going to see in a few weeks, that's a great example of Peter, right? I mean, Peter has, has fallen, and he's fallen hard. And Jesus goes, hey, man, it's okay. I love you still. And Peter's out there weeping bitterly because he's disappointed himself, hasn't he? He's failed, and he knows it. And we do the same thing, and God goes, hey, man, it's all right. Get up. I got this. Like, it's okay. And we're still beating ourselves up and beating ourselves up, and God's going, what are you beat? I already took it. Like, I took all your guilt and took all your shame with me, and it's there still at the cross. Peter fails, and so do we. And God loves failures. He loves them. And he rescues them. And he saves them. And if you think for a moment that you're too big of a failure for God, you're off base and you're wrong. You couldn't be more wrong. God loves you exactly how you are. Now, he'll change you, and he'll mold you, and he'll shape you. Remember, he's the, he's the potter, and we're the clay. And he'll turn you into something you never thought you could be. But you're never too far gone for this God of ours. Peter's proof of that. Remember, Peter writes in the book, right? I don't want to, I don't want to spoil the ending for you. Peter, Peter kind of makes a recovery here. He turns this around, and he's the, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And guess what happens to Peter eventually? He ends up being crucified for this Jesus. And when they crucified him, church history says he asked to be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to suffer the same way that this Jesus suffered. And so he asked them, when they crucified him, if they could just crucify him upside down because he didn't want to die the same way Jesus died because he wasn't worthy to die that way. Didn't complain about dying for Jesus. That wasn't his complaint. He didn't want to die the same way Jesus did because he wasn't worthy to die that way. See, Peter ends up having the stuff. He's got it. And he meets an early death because of this Jesus. He didn't get it right the first time. Maybe the second time, but he kept trying and kept getting back up. And God is asking the same thing of you and me. You might not get it right today or tomorrow, but just keep trying and just keep working and keep partnering with God. And God will, will change you and mold you and shape you and turn you into something that you would never have expected to be. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful for these stories of our heroes as they do great things, but also as they fail. <coughs> it's not exclusive to Peter, Father. We, we can read about King David in the Old Testament, how great King David was at so many things, and yet he, he failed and, and failed miserably. The Apostle Paul, who writes a good portion of the New Testament, Father, he, he starts his, his career murdering Christians before you get a hold of him. Father, the theme of all that is that we're, not too, we're never, ever too far gone for you. That you will hold us in the palm of your hand if we are willing to give up our pride and our arrogance and say, hey, God, I need you. So God, we do that today and every day. We cry out to you saying, God, I need you. I cannot do this alone. I don't have what it takes. I need your help day and every day. Father, we know that you are quick to forgive us, that you love us exactly how we are, that you cannot wait to rain down on us your love and your mercy and your grace. Father, we know each and every one of our imperfections, of our flaws, of where we get it wrong, and so do you, and yet you choose to love us. So Father, help us 
to remember that we're your children and that you love your children always and forever. That you will never turn your back on us and that you will never give up and that you promised that you would never, ever leave us or forsake us, that we are yours today and every day. Father, help us remember that when we fail, when temptation comes our way, when we start beating ourselves up for committing that same sin that we've committed a thousand times before, help us remember that we are yours, that you got this. We're thankful for your son Jesus who took all of our sin, all of our junk, and took it to the cross and nailed it there once and for all. So we no longer have to carry around on our shoulders the burden of our sin, the skeletons in the closet, Father. They're gone because of you. We're thankful that he didn't stay dead, that the grave could not hold this Jesus, and that he came back to life three days later, giving each and every one of us the promise of life everlasting with you. We look forward to that day where we see you face to face. Father God, we're thankful for all that you do for us, that you love us so, so much. We pray all this in the powerful and healing name of your son Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.